Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Danny from C4C Apologetics again. I'm glad you're tuning in because today we're actually speaking with somebody that uh, the topic is near and dear to my heart. I've witnessed to Mormons for countless years, and, and as you can tell, I collect a lot of books of Mormon, Pro, Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, Gospel Principles, JSTs, and things like that. But I'm actually able to interview someone that came out of the ODS Church. And so today's guest is Dr. Lynn Wilder. She's the founder, I believe it's the founder of uh, Unveiling Mormonism and has written the book Unveiling Grace as well. We have Dr. Lynn Wilder. You're also an ex-BYU professor. And so that's pretty amazing. Uh, before we jump into the questions, can you share just a little bit about yourself, maybe how you really got out of Mormonism, just very briefly and succinctly, and anything else you'd like to share? Oh, the story of how I got out of Mormonism is a long one, and it's in the book, Feeling <laughs> Grace. But uh, yes, I was at BYU. How amazing, right? I worked for the Mormon Church. Uh, Brigham Young University is run by the Mormon Church. I actually had to have my testimony vetted by a general authority of the Mormon Church in order to work at BYU. I was tenured at BYU and they actually rank advanced me to associate professor a year early because of how many publications I had and I was doing a lot of stuff internationally. But even if you're tenured at BYU, if you disassociate with the Mormon church, you cannot stay at BYU. And that's true for both um, professors and for students. We signed an honor code, and at the bottom, it says anyone who disaffiliates with the Mormon church, if you're a student, you cannot enroll in classes, and you cannot graduate from the university. Wow. So literally, we've we've worked with uh, BYU students. There are three different BYU campuses, and um, one of them got to within two weeks, I think, before the end of his semester, got found out that he was going to a Christian church. Uh, mm-hmm. Bishop called him in, and they kicked him out of the university in three days. In three days to get out, so that semester counted for nothing. Wow. Um, and that, that was fairly recently. Now, BYU is a private institution, though, correct? Yes, owned and operated by the LDS Church, yes. Oh, um, some, some regard, I could understand. All apostles sit on the board at Brigham Young. Oh, okay. University. Yeah. So, so 12 apostles, and then uh, what role does a quorum have? Any role with BYU? Um, the quorum of the 12 apostles, yeah, six of them sit on the board at BYU and help make decisions, yes. So it's a, my boss used to tease me that it's a theocracy at BYU, it's (laughs) not a democracy. I could understand that. down from church leaders, right, decisions are made whether you can have folk on campus or not. Oh, wow. That that's one thing. I, it's not the best thing to do, but anytime I get a Mormon missionary on the door, I try to give them coffee. So stuff like that, but they don't ever take it. But I just want to jump into some questions. Got a lot of questions to ask you. I'm very excited, like I said, just to pick your brain a little bit. Because how long were you actually in the LDS Church? 
My husband and I joined at age 24, um, and we were in 30 years, exactly 30 years. Yeah, what? very, very active. We both held lots of leadership positions, and Mike and I not only were Temple Recommend holders who wore temple garments for 30 years, but we actually worked in a Mormon temple for 10 years. So um, it's a little bit unusual. There are a number of Christian apologetics ministries that kind of do Mormonism and right. research uh, Mormon history and stuff. But the ministries that actually have former Mormons in them are, are quite rare. And so our entire ministry is filled with former Mormons. So the role that we kind of play is helping Mormons who are questioning their faith, right, transition to learn about biblical faith so that they might make a healthy decision after Mormonism um, as to whether biblical Christianity is something they want to do. And Mormons typically love Jesus, right? I mean, they've spent a lot of time thinking they were pleasing him in Mormonism. So a lot of them, when they learn about things about church history and Joseph Smith that make them question the Mormon church, they still have a heart to keep Jesus, a lot of them. Yeah. That's a whole point of relearning who Jesus is, who God is, you know, what truth is, and where do you go for all of that. I can tell you in my transition out of Mormonism, I feel like it took me nearly five years of reading the Bible wow. before and I was in it every day. Mike and I were in a couple of Bible studies a week, you know, in that church, whenever pastor would open the door, just because it's a whole new world outside of Mormonism. The teachings of Mormonism do not dovetail with Christianity at all. Wow. That's wow. Well, we, I would love to just continue just these conversations and everything, but I, I really like that but I want to go ahead and jump into questions and then we'll take some sidebars here and there. Okay. And so uh, I always want to start off with a softball. So I have a, I have a son and a daughter and I asked them, Hey, what, what question do you want me to ask this uh, ex Mormon professor? And so my daughter wanted me to ask you, what is your favorite food? <laughs> Tell your daughter, how old is she? She is 15. Probably Twizzlers. Twizzlers. Okay. <laughs> I haven't really heard that one much, but I mean I like a lot of foods, but you know, yeah. I'll let her know that. She'll watch a video as well. So whenever we have Mormon missionaries knock on our door, uh, at first I used to slam the door. I, I used to be one of those people, but then I realized, you know what, God is allowing them to come to my doorstep to witness to them. So take advantage of the opportunity. So one thing I've learned to do was to ask them, how did they get involved within the Mormon church? Because everybody has a story. How did you and your husband get involved in the LDS church? I grew up Presbyterian um, mm -hmm. in Indiana. My husband grew up Hellfire and Damnation Baptist <laughs> in Indiana. Um, I would say neither of us were born again. We, I went to church every week, but it would have been a social thing for me. I didn't get it. Mm 
But when Mike and I were 24 and we'd been married three years, we were looking for a church thinking we would have a family and we should probably do church, right? We believed in Jesus. Mormon missionaries knocked on the door one day when Mike was home working on his master's thesis and I was gone teaching school. Um, he opened the door to them and he was fascinated by what they were telling him. Now, here, here's the problem. 80-some percent, according to the Pew Institute, of people that join Mormonism come right out of biblical Christianity, nominal Christianity, mm -hmm. people like me who didn't know the Bible. So Mormonism, the, the Mormon missionaries would talk about prophets, and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard of prophets. They had prophets in the Bible, you know. But I, I don't know that Luke 16, 16 says, Jesus himself says the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, right? Oh, right. <laughs> Glad Jesus came and spoke for himself. Um, I, I don't know enough about faith to know that. And so those Mormon missionaries were so kind. And my husband was teaching at a local university and there was a professor in his department that was LDS and that professor and his wife started inviting us to dinner and pretty soon we had social status in the university, we had social status in the church and we felt like we belonged to this very um, warm and welcoming family. So lots of people join Mormonism I think because of these teachings about how wonderful family is, it's very warm and fuzzy, you know, and they'll take you in. If you move to Utah and you're not LDS, you might have neighbors bringing you chocolate chip cookies and pies once a week. You know, they're just, um, me they know how to love people into the gospel, into the Mormon gospel. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm, I love I love some cookies. Plus, Utah's a beautiful area. So I don't know well, how the they... I don't know how the connection is over there. I'm getting a little bit of choppy. If we get disconnected, we'll try to connect again. But okay, internet's acting up a little bit. But yeah, for what I understand, Utah's a pretty area. I know Apologia Studios that I don't wholeheartedly agree with. They have a lot of work out there also. So, and, and I definitely understand the aspect. There was one time we were witnessing to Mormon missionaries, and I asked, uh, I, I didn't know this until the time that female missionaries are called sisters, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I wasn't going to call her a sister because she wasn't a sister in Christ. So I called her by her first name and had a nice conversation. But I learned that she believes her like great, great grandmother or something like that was involved and was killed in the Missouri massacre. So I always find it very interesting to know uh, how did they be get into the Mormon church? Cause there was one time I was witnessing to a Mormon and we were talking about proxy baptisms, baptisms for the dead. And I was like, you know, the passage you use in first Corinthians, you know, that's talking about it. That's not what it means. You know, once we're, we die, that's it. It's the judgment and we can't baptize. And, and so I was telling them all this. Then I find out like a month earlier, they had done it for his grandfather in hopes for him to receive the gospel. And so I've learned it's important to go ahead and reach out to them first, find out their background. But 
I was very, uh, I, I learned about you through your son, like we were talking about before. And I want to ask you this question because uh, there's a lot of humility with you and your husband. And I'm going to say this. Can you explain how you came to realize that the LDS church was not true? How difficult was it for you as a parent to listen to your Mormon son leave Mormonism and then to listen to your son to bring you and your husband out of the LDS church? So how difficult was that? Well, remember when I said Mormonism is all about families, they believe in something called families forever. When you go to a Mormon temple, a husband and a wife are sealed um, for this life and for the next life. So literally Mormons believe that you're married for this life, you're married for the next life. And if you live the commandments and do all these righteous things according to Mormonism and do all the right ordinances, that you can live together as a family in the next life. But in Mormon families, the elders kind of rule. <laughs> I mean, it's not unusual in Utah for adult families to go home to mom and dad's for Sunday dinner still every mm -hmm. week. It's not unusual for mom to call her daughter who might be 35 and married every day and know everything about what's going on in her life yeah so when our son read the new testament a dozen times on his mormon mission as a mormon missionary decides it's not mormonism and that he wants the god of the bible goes to his knees gives his life to this god and then gets in lots of trouble with a mormon church did that upturn my family absolutely here's what mormonism taught me that he now could not be with my family in the next life he's he's saying he believes that he's saved by grace do you know what Mormonism teaches? You're saved by the laws and the ordinances of the Mormon gospel. That's the third article of faith. Yep. So you're saved by rules and regs and works and keeping those works. It's really not so different from Islam in that if you do all of the right things, but at the end of life, if you've done enough, God's grace might kick in and save you. Right. Mormons. If you ask a Mormon, are you saved? They always say, I hope so, right? They have no assurance of salvation in this life, and they have no idea that you as a Christian do, that you know that you're saved, right? These are positive things that we can offer to Mormons that they don't know anything about. It upturned my family. It upturned your family uh, emotionally, because if you allow then that son back into your family, that cancer might spread. He might convince someone else to go to Christianity and then your eternal family falls apart. So yes, our perfect Mormon family, once Micah got saved, began to tumble. Micah began to share that faith with his brother, with his sister. And then there's all this contention in the family. Now, we who are Christians know that the life of a Christian is full of trials, persecutions, that God can do good things with that. 
but Mormons actually believe a prosperity gospel. The Book of Mormon teaches that if you live the Mormon commandments, then you will be blessed both temporally and spiritually. So um, nobody's supposed to leave the church, right? That means either I've sinned and done something wrong or he's sinned and done something wrong. It's like the worst of the worst. And then the Mormon church leaders want you to cut him off. Get rid of that cancer before it infects anyone else. So this is the situation that our family all of a sudden was thrust into, and I'm working for the church, right, while all this is going on. Wow. Yeah, I can, and it's very similar, well, we're going to get to this later on in the questions, but again, it's very similar to Jehovah's Witnesses and the whole aspect of disfellowship and excommunication and the fact mm -hmm. of Jehovah Witness, you, you leave the Jehovah Witness faith, there's no you can't have eternal life. You can never be a part of the 144,000. And it's just this aspect of a fear tactic. Uh, well, yes, the only way you go to hell in Mormonism, they call it outer darkness, mm -hmm. is to be a temple going Mormon, mm -hmm. right? Who's had a witness from the Holy Spirit that Mormonism is true and then to leave the faith. So the only people going to outer darkness in Mormonism would be Satan his minions and apostates like me in particular if you're vocal about leaving the mormon church and if i'm not mistaken lds doctrine ca calls them sons of perdition those that left the lds church and everything so there you go it, yeah it, just, so there's a lot of fear mormonism yeah. uses fear shame and guilt to try to keep people bound workspace systems do that right if you have a standard and you're constantly measuring and if you don't measure up then you're just overwhelmed by this shame fear and guilt well when i read the new testament it says satan uses those things right to keep people in bondage and so yeah. that's not a good thing now you had made mention that uh, a big teaching within Mormonism is the fact of your family being together forever. Now, we had talked beforehand about conundrums, if you will, but th this is just something that just came to me. So, say a husband and a wife got married in the temple, uh, working on exaltation, celestial kingdom, becoming a god of their own planet type deal. Uh, how does that work with them still maintaining their entire family? You know what I mean? It just seems like there's somewhat of a conundrum with that aspect of it. Well, I can work you through the illogic of families forever. Um, supposedly, my husband was working his way to become a god. And of course, Mormons believe that in the next life, righteous men should be polygamous, right? Doctrine and Covenants 132. So the idea is you live the commandments, God decides to save you, you're, they believe in something called eternal progression, you're, you're eternally progressing and learning, you can eventually become a god, a male can have his own planet, have multiple wives, and then people your own planet. Right. <laughs> Oh, all of that's crazy. Okay, but here's the thing. If you have sons and they're righteous Mormons, they're going to grow up and have their own families and they're going to have their own planet. So how in the world 
are as a mother and dad and the kids living together on the same planet they're not my husband kind of jokingly says what are they supposed to do get in their cosmic station wagon and go visit their kids at christmas on another planet i mean if you think it through logically it doesn't even make any sense that families can live together in mormon philosophy right oh definitely you've explained that pretty clear so talking about all these illogical conclusions and conundrums whatnot but no matter where I look and research or ask a Mormon, how do you know the LDS church is true? They always point me to the passage in the Book of Mormon talking about the burning bosom. Could you explain what the burning in the bosom is and why is there so much focus on experientialism as opposed to evidence? Yeah, this is actually why my husband decided to join the Mormon church. There's a passage in... Moroni, I think it's 10, 4, and 5, mm -hmm. that they challenge people who are investigating the Mormon church with. And it says to pray if these things are not true, which is interesting. You're not praying that they're true. You're praying that they're not true. <laughs> anyway, my husband prayed to find out if the Book of Mormon was true and then had a dream that night where he was defending the Mormon people. And he felt like God was telling him he had to march into Mormonism. But this was our first experience with all of this experientialism, mm -hmm. right? Mormonism is very touchy, feely, um, look for electricity up your spine, cry. I honestly believed for 30 years that the more emotional something made me, the more that meant it was true, because that's how the Holy Spirit tells me that something's true. So here's an example. In Mormonism, you get something called your patriarchal blessing. This is it's like telling your future. There's a patriarch in Mormonism, and he lays his hand on your head, and he gives you a blessing, and then they write it down, and it's supposed to be your future. Okay. And here's what Mormonism teaches you. If you're righteous and you live the commandments, this future will come true. If you're not, or you sin, or you miss the mark, then this future won't come true. So see how easy that is to say, oh, it didn't come true. You never had children like it said you would. So, oh, you must have done something wrong. It very, um, in Mormonism, it's, it's always about you. Okay, so patriarchal blessings, telling your future, experiential events. When that patriarch in Lafayette, Indiana, laid his hands on my head, this was real. I felt electricity flow huh. from that man's hands down through my body. And I was so sure that that was a witness from the Holy Spirit that Mormonism was true, that my patriarchal blessing would come to pass. Right. And that was, I had a number of those kind of experiences in Mormonism. So if someone would try to talk me logically out of that patriarchal blessing, I would just la, 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 not listen to them because I knew what I knew, what I knew because I'd had this amazing experience. It was not until I read the Bible when I discovered things like 
the heart can't be trusted. The heart of man is wicked above all things who can know it. Um, and started realizing, wait a minute, you sometimes can't trust things that are experiential. And then I realized too from the New Testament that there is an unseen world and that unseen world has both angels and demons in it. And that it's possible for demonic influence to happen and that that can certainly happen through feelings as well as many other ways. And so then I'm totally freaked out. Well, if I can't trust feelings as I'm reading the Bible, how in the world will I ever know what's true? No, that that definitely makes sense because even then, like I've talked to more, matter of fact, (laughs) a Mormon had uh, sent me inadvertently a Facebook friend request. And uh, I guess part of what they're doing on missions now is through Facebook and everything with COVID. But he sent me a friend request. I I didn't accept it, but I was messaging him and we ended up having a long conversation. And then one of the things we were talking about was this burning of the bosom or burning in the bosom and being able to uh, test the spirits to see whether if they're from God. And, And he had admitted that, yes, he believes that too. But the hard part is like, like you were saying earlier, is they don't necessarily believe in the Bible. They believe in the Bible as far as it is translated correctly, which would be the Joseph Smith translation. And so from my understanding, even if a Mormon's like, hey, I have this experience, so let me go to the Bible, not this, but the JST, and see what it says. Like you said, they put more emphasis on Joseph Smith's teachings, the church's revelation, because they teach open revelation, as opposed to what the Bible, God's word actually says. And so I I see a definite conundrum there. Speaking of Mormon missionaries, could you explain regarding the Mormon missions trips, what's the purpose of the mission trips? How were Mormons selected? And then what happened during those two years and why is it specifically two years? So there's four questions wrapped up in one. So if you could, what's the purpose of it? Uh, why is it two years? What do they do during the trip and how are they selected? Well, first I probably should go back and talk about Mormon scripture. So this is clear. Okay. Uh, the, the Mormon church was actually sued a couple of years ago. They used the King James version of the Bible, but they publish their own. Mm. So it is the King James version word by word, except that the Mormon topics for chapter headings and their own explanations for what's in that chapter. And then they have their own footnotes. So if you're reading a Mormon King James, it's going to take you to the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great, uh, other Mormon sources to explain what that verse means. Um, And the Joseph Smith translation is referred to often in the King James version, the Mormon's King James. But in 30 years of Mormonism, and even as a BYU professor, I did not know that Joseph Smith had gone from Genesis to Revelation and fixed everything that was wrong with the Bible by 1833, like three years after he started the church. Yeah. He'd gone through the whole Bible and made a Joseph Smith translation. I didn't even know that existed. I just knew there was a source called the JST. So a lot of Mormons are not even familiar 
oh. with the fact that Joseph did that and they would not have a JST in their home. Okay, huh. now missionaries. It is a rite of passage for young people in, in Mormonism, particularly young males. Mm -hmm. If you want a good spouse and you want that spouse to marry you in the temple, and you're Mormon and you're male, you better be going on a two-year Mormon mission where you're knocking on doors and you're doing everything you can do to spread the gospel. Now, how many billions of people might be Christian in the world of Christians did something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Here, you, you alluded to it earlier. Mormon missionaries knock on your door and beg you for an opportunity to talk about God. And most Christians say, get off my doorstep. <laughs> no, yeah. You're called no way or what, whatever it is they're thinking. And yet God sent them right to you. <laughs> yep. I had Christian family in Mormonism. I knew nothing about the differences. I didn't know anything about the Bible and how it could be trusted. I didn't know who your God was. All I knew was what the Mormon church taught me. Okay. They tell you that you have the same God as the Christians, that they are lessers, Mormons are greaters, and here's why. Um, Christians only have the Bible, and it's corrupt. It can't be trusted. And Mormons have three scriptures on top of that, and they're perfect. So... They do not, Mormons are not taught that you are opposite them. You are potential converts. You're just people that have a little of the truth. You need the fullness of the truth added to it. Until I read the New Testament, I didn't realize that Mormonism and Christianity are as far from each other as the East is from the West. There's no reconciling the two of them. They teach very, very different things. In fact, the Adams Road Ministry, my, my kids' uh, ministry, has identified 40 things Mormonism teaches and then put together all the Bible scripture on each of those 40 topics. Right. So the Mormons can actually go to the Bible and see what the God of the Bible has to say about that and see how different that is than what Mormonism is teaching them. There is no dovetailing the two. And yet in recent years, Mormons are saying we're Christian too, right? I believe this started about the time they were um, grooming Mitt Romney to run for president. Okay. When we joined the Mormon church, we did not want to be called Christians. You were lessers. Mormons were greaters. We yeah. never addressed ourselves as Christians. We were Mormons. We were proud to be Mormons. This right. weird Christians, too, just started maybe 15 years ago, and it's really muddied the water. Yes. Now many Christians seem to believe that Mormons are just like them, it's just another Christian sect, right? And Mormons are super confused because they have no idea you have a very different God, very different gospel. Yeah. What, uh, during the missionary trips, uh, have you been on one yourself? No, we joined the church at, after we were already married. This is something that okay. you do as right. a young single. Okay. So, um, 
a few years ago, the Mormon church was losing so many young missionaries that they lowered the missionary age to 18. So now young men come right out of high school, go straight on a two-year mission. Um, so there's a lot of parental pressure. They haven't lived on their own yet. Oh, you right. know, and a lot of Mormon families will say, well, go on a mission, we'll give you a car. Go on a mission, we'll pay for your college. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. To, what, all, um, what all happens on a missions trip? Now, I know they go, go knock on doors and they go to a sort of like a training before they actually go to their field. Right. And the church ends up sending them the field that they're going to, I guess, from the prophet or whatever. But right. Once they're on the missions field and doing their missions, besides knocking on doors, are they doing other things? What are they doing? Well, they have very strict rules. Um, for years, they could not be, they could not speak to their families except for Mother's Day and Christmas, like really? a 20 minute phone call twice a year. The Mormon church totally has control over those young men. Um, they were only allowed on the internet once a week, and that was only to send mission, uh, emails to their families, and um, that server was owned by the Mormon church, so their communications were completely con controlled. They're a little looser now, partly because they've lost so many young kids who didn't want to do missions, I think, because oh, okay. it was so strict. Right. Um, they do service. Often on their missions, they're happy to mow your yard often, or sometimes they work in soup kitchens or in local libraries, anywhere where they have access to people and can share the Mormon gospel. Okay. Now, I always hear people say, oh, those Mormons, they're nice people. And yeah. They're, they're always doing good things. Granted, articles of faith, part, part of the way they can gain eternal life is by doing works, and it's by grace that you are saved. It's by grace that you are saved after all that we can do, according to Second Nephi, I think it is, but 2523, uh, yes. it would just be amazing if someone said, wow, that Baptist is a nice person, or those Presbyterians are nice, you know, but we just don't have the stigma like that. But you had made a mention of the fact of the Mormon God is totally different. It took me a while to realize this uh, because I thought Jehovah and Heavenly Father were one and the same, but I realized that they're not in that a lot of people teach that Jehovah, I think it was, I think it was Brigham Young, correct me if I'm wrong, that had the statement that uh, as God is, man, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become, teaching the whole aspect of exaltation. But, that was uh, one of the prophets by the, by the name of Snow. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah, Lorenzo Snow. That's right, yeah, Lorenzo, Lorenzo Snow. Snow yeah. mm -hmm. and, and so my thing is like here in, the, in one of the books of Abraham, in chapter 4, verse number 1, in the book of Abraham it says that the Lord said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, the gods, plural, now, it's my understanding they hold to Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus created uh, the heavens and the earth, or at least Jehovah did. So what's the deal with the plurality of gods here? Jehovah and Michael supposedly Jeho created Jehovah the earth and according Michael? to the Mormon temple. Okay. Yeah, the archangel Michael. Um, so, 
who I think they say became Adam, but all, all of that is not biblical. <laughs> so, you, okay, you brought up a number of things. First, the nature of God the Father is different between Mormonism and, and the Bible, and the nature of Jesus <laughs> is different between the two. Um, and then you've brought up the creation, but let's, let's go to nature of God first. So in Mormonism, there are multiple gods, yes. And there was a council of the gods that makes decisions. And any good Mormon man can earn his godhood. So God the Father, they call him Heavenly Father, earned his godhood at one point. But that means he started out as a man, okay. did enough good works, earned his godhood, and is still progressing. Now, here's one thing I learned in the Bible. The God of the Bible knows all things from the beginning, always did, always has. He, he's not learning every day. I don't want a God who's learning every day because he's, he's not the big one who knows everything. Right? So the Mormon Heavenly Father is still progressing. Then Jesus earned his godhood next. He started out as a man. Sometimes even if you ask Mormons, well, Jesus was a man, does that mean he would have sinned? Sometimes they say, well, I guess so, or Heavenly yeah. Father, maybe, when he was a man. But, you know, he did enough good stuff, and then he earned his, his godhood. They actually believe you have to have body of flesh and bone to earn your godhood. This is all... Yeah. Very different from the Bible, except the Holy Ghost, they call him the Holy Ghost because of King James, um, is a God. And they're not sure how he gained his Godhood because it doesn't have a God. Yeah, so you have at least three, you have three gods for this earth is what they'll say. And then we don't worry about the other gods for the other earth. But Brigham Young once said that, father had a father who had a father who had a father so there's a um um an unlimited progression of god yeah. in that, so so much i could ask you so much i'd want to ask you i need to get back to the questions and everything on the script but uh lds temple okay you had made mention that you were part of the temple and of course i only got to point one on the differences and Heavenly Father and God the Father, they just go on and on and on. Go ahead. And that is, is that the stuff from Adams Road LDS Topical Guide? Uh, some of this is from my husband and my ministry, okay. unveilingmormonism.com. We're definitely going to have links to that, uh, your book, uh, the Adams Road Ministry with your, your children and everything. That's fascinating that your kids have this own ministry about this. That's wonderful. But uh, I, I've watched undercover videos, if you will, within LDS Temple endowment ceremonies and receiving yeah. the tokens and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, would you be able to explain what, what exactly happens within a temple and what exactly is an endowment ceremony? Uh, sure. You can go to a Mormon temple at age 12 for the first time and you go to the basement of the temple typically and do baptisms for the dead. So if you're familiar with Ancestry.com, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It's Mormon affiliated and they uh, gather from people who are putting together their genealogy. They uh -huh. gather names of the dead and then they take those dead to the names to the Mormon temple and someone in proxy yeah. for that person who's dead goes through nearly four hours of ordinances for that person because according to Mormonism, without the ordinances of Mormonism, you have no hope to be saved. So baptism for the dead, 12 year olds will go where there's this huge, almost swimming pool kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And some of them have the 12 oxen, like the, oh, yeah, like the Old Testament they used to do for washings. And you will, uh, a man with the priesthood will hold up his right hand and say, um, Lynn Wilder, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, I baptize you uh, for and in behalf of Mary Dale, who is dead. And so then I get baptized, I come up, they give me another name. I'm baptized, I come up. That's what the 12-year-olds do. Wow. Then before you go on a mission, when you're like 18, um, you're allowed to go through the temple proper, which in a lot of temples is the next level. It would be like the first level. First thing you do is washings and anointings, and you get a garment of the holy priesthood. So Mormons have underwear that they wear that's special, that's supposed to protect you physically and spiritually, and it's called the garment of the holy priesthood. So washings and anointings, you get your garment, you get a new name. You know, in Revelation, it says you'll have a new name. Um, now, as far as that name, name, as far as yeah. that name, is that like a common like English name or like, do you know that? Mine was Caroline. Okay. Yeah. And, but what we've learned is, Anyone who goes through the temple for the first time on the same day gets the same new name. Oh. <laughs> so they've got a whole system that they okay. were. <laughs> you take your new name and you go to an endowment ceremony, which I think is about um, almost two hours, hour and a half. Okay. And part of it's live and part of it's watching a movie. And doing, during this endowment, it's supposed to be instruction, but what you learn are the signs and the tokens that you need in order to um, be saved, in order to live with Father in the next life. So when you talk to Mormons, um, rather than talking about the term salvation, use the term eternal life, because to them, eternal life or exaltation, they use those things interchangeably, mean living with Father. Okay. And because you have three separate heavens in Mormonism, those who want to live with Father have to do the most in order to get to the highest heaven. And they're in the highest heaven, there are actually three different areas. If you want to get to the oh. highest of the highest heaven, you have to be sealed to a worthy spouse in the temple. Now think about that for a moment. What if one of those spouses goes to biblical Christianity? Right. Then you no longer can be saved to the highest heaven of the highest heaven if you're not married to a worthy Mormon spouse. Yeah. And so as we see people get saved out of Mormonism, sometimes there's divorce. 
because if the LDS spouse is not open to hearing about biblical faith, then they want to go on and find someone who's LDS that they can be married to. Right. Okay, so during that endowment, I, <laughs> I learn, right, the signs and the tokens, which are very Masonic, many of them. I was about to ask that because a, a lot of uh, what happens at the veil, if you will, uh, looks a lot like the Masonic five points of fellowship in the handshakes and everything. Well, they did do five points of fellowship until a certain point, And then they gave that yeah. uh, again, uh, this God changes his mind all the time. So even the temple mm -hmm. ceremony is changing constantly. Although they'll tell you this is the same ceremony Adam went through, but they, they themselves okay. keep changing it. Yeah. So, but here's, here's a real problem. In order to get resurrected, in order to go through the veil and see Heavenly Father or be with Heavenly Father, if you're a man, you use these handshakes and whatever. If you're a woman, you use the same handshakes, but the person resurrecting you is not Jesus or God. The person resurrecting you is your husband. He has priesthood authority over you. Yeah. So you need to go to the temple to learn all the, he has to know your new name. He has to call out your new name. And then you have to go through these, these handshakes and you have to say the right words in order to, to get through the veil to the next life. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like those uh, undercover videos that I watched and everything were, were legitimate videos because I've seen. If it was new name Noah. Yeah. If, if they were new name Noah's, yes, he actually was in the temple when he did those videos. I, I, it, it may have been that one, but I remember there was one where there's a big old basin with a bunch of oxen around and there was just this little girl just keep getting dunked over and over. Yeah. yeah those are baptisms for the dead. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, I'd like to ask, why is it so hard for a Mormon to leave the ODS church? Well, it's hard because Mormons are all about families forever. And your family forever is going to be destroyed if everyone does not march to Mormonism and have a temple recommend and, mm -hmm. and stay Mormon all of their life, right? Um, so literally some families shun members who leave the church. So if you've seen Leah Remini's series on Scientology, Mormonism may not be as overt in their shunning or in what they do. For instance, if, if a Mormon 21-year-old tells their Mormon parents that they're questioning their faith, their initial reaction might be, Oh, well, honey, just read your Book of Mormon more. Just go to the temple more. You'll be fine. You know, we'll support you in whatever you want to do. <sighs> Helped a college kid um, out of Mormonism to know the Christ of the Bible here within the last year or so. His Mormon parents at first said all of that was fine with them, that he was questioning his faith. Well, he eventually gets baptized Christian and then wants to marry a Christian. And then his parents are telling him, we won't come, right? We can't support that. We won't come. So um, 
it upturns the whole families forever. And yes, family is a wonderful thing, but Mormon families are what psychology calls a mesh. It's not healthy, really. Oh. The Bible says um, when you get married, you leave your mother and your father, you cleave to your husband, and you have a marriage of three. You have God and you have the two believers, right? right? And mom and dad don't need to be hanging on to your coattails and knowing everything that you're doing. So this is uh, something I need to work Mormons through as they're leaving okay. the church because they want to tell their whole family about every question they have. They want to go mm -hmm. tell their bishop. And then those people put a lot of pressure on them to stay Mormon. Yeah. Now, with being able to witness to a lot of Mormons, I try to explain biblical grace to them. And it seems like I'm just banging my head against a wall. In your, what is yeah. the best advice you can give anybody on how can we effectively witness and share the gospel to a Mormon that's knocking on our door? Well, those are two kind of different questions. One's about grace and one's about witnessing. Um, I have to tell you, even after I read the New Testament, after 10 months of just obsessively reading the New Testament and going, this is not Mormonism, realizing this God was so much bigger than the Mormon God I knew, literally going face down one night and giving my life to Jesus. Um, even after that, I didn't understand grace. And, and going to a Christian church and reading the Bible, I'm hearing about it constantly, but Mormonism is so anti-grace, so antithetical to grace, all of that works, you got to do, you got to please, you got to do, that it took literally my brain two years. One day I'm sitting in a Nazarene church, I remember hearing the pastor talk about grace, and I got it. But I had already been a believer for two years at that point. That's how difficult that yeah. is for Mormons. And here's why Mormonism is so insidious and they're so hard to witness to. Mormons use the exact same words as you do. They're going to use angel and salvation and temple and salvation, whatever. Yeah. They use all the same Christian words and not one of them has the same meaning. So when the Mormon, when you say that to them, their brain is thinking of something terribly different. Right. And grace is the same thing. Their grace is, if I do enough up front and it pleases God, then his grace will kick in and save me. The uh, Mormon Encyclopedia has a definition for grace, and that is that grace is an enabling power that God gives you so that you can live the commandments so that you can work your way there. See that? <laughs> so yeah. when you try to talk to them about grace, their idea of grace is so different. You almost have to stay away from religious words and continually ask them, so what do you mean by that? So what are you thinking about when I say this? Yeah. So, and so the idea of unmerited favor or gift that God would give me a gift I don't deserve 
they just totally reject that in their minds because why would God give me something I didn't earn? Okay. That's, that's something you have to explore for a really long time. Mm. They're taught that that's heretical and that that's evil and that Christians teach that because they want to believe they're saved by grace, not by works, so that they can go live for sin and they're fine. They still have eternal life. That's how Mormons see Christian theology. So you have to do, and of course, nice Mormon missionaries aren't going to say all of those things to you up front, but that's what they're thinking. I did get under one one person's skin one time, and they got pretty, they got pretty, uh, not aggressive, but somewhat passive aggressive. It was interesting. So it, if you could share just a couple thoughts on what should we do when a Mormon missionary knocks on our door? What would you recommend us doing? If your faith is solid and the faith of your other family members is solid, invite them in. Okay. If, if you've got young kids or people that might be influenced by Mormonism, uh, meet them publicly somewhere. Take them to dinner or something. But definitely love on them. Give them good, positive experiences with Christians. They have nothing but positive experiences with Mormons. Okay. And Christians have nothing but positive experiences with Mormons. They're taught to be really nice. Right. And so um, they need positive experiences with Christians, but they need good, honest conversations, but respectfully, right? You have to believe too, you have to realize they're not going to trust the Bible. So using that as an authoritative source is something that... Um, you're eventually, after you already have a relationship for a while and you trust each other, you can right. begin to bring up the evidences for the Bible. Huge for me, right? 30,000 archaeological digs for the Old yeah. Testament alone. Are you kidding me? The Book of Mormon doesn't have one. And yet Mormons believe from Ezekiel 37 that the Book of Mormon and the Bible are two sticks in one hand. So I'll work them through all the evidences for the Bible sometimes. Wow, I was surprised to learn. Wow, I couldn't believe when I read this. Wow, you know, linguistic evidence, zoological evidence, botanical evidence, DNA evidence, archaeological evidence, secular historical evidence, prophecy evidence. I I work through all those evidences and then I'll look at them and say, surely the Book of Mormon, if it's two sticks in one hand, God surely wouldn't give one overwhelming evidence and the other one not, right? So can you talk to me some about your archaeological evidence for the Book of Mormon? Yeah. Um, So rather than, you don't want to be direct with them because the Book of Mormon says contention is of the devil. So they see anything you present to them that's opposite Mormonism, they see that as contention and they see that as coming from the devil. And you can almost see them go, la, 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 I'm not listening to you. Okay. So um, you have to be kind, you have to be friendly, you have to be relational, you have to respect them. And what I do is um, I typically don't ever challenge them except with questions. So what I do is plant questions, right? So I let them do their presentation and then I'll ask them questions. 
questions that are answered in the scriptures <laughs> that I can then turn to the scriptures to ask them. I don't even read the scriptures to them. I'll say to them, do you mind reading this out loud to us and telling me what you think this means or why you think Jesus would have said that or whatever. And what I'm doing is planting things that are contrary to what they just taught me. Right. It will have been the first time they've ever seen that probably because mm -hmm. the Mormon church does not point out things in the Bible that contradict mm -hmm. Mormonism. They're only going to pull out things that look like they support Mormonism. So, like, uh, like you and said, you can uh, do it right from what they're teaching you, whatever the topic is, priesthood or whatever, you know, priesthood, you can go to Hebrews where mm -hmm. Jesus is our only high priest and stuff. Mormons right. have thousands of high priests. And, and like you said earlier, uh, while they may not necessarily take the Bible, they will most likely take the words of Jesus. Yeah. And so it, if there's any ways that we can find questions that are relevant to the conversation that Jesus talks about that contradicts their view, they'll be more apt to actually consider that, won't they? And on the Adams Road website, this Bible topical guide Mm -hmm. 40 things Mormonism teaches, like man has seen God, you need ordinances to be saved, you have to follow the old law, um, you have to take the sacrament every week to, to get rid of your sins, uh, you have to go through a temple, right, to go to the highest heaven. All those things Mormonism teaches, and all they did was work through the Old and the New Testament and pull up everything on that topic that the God of the Bible has to say about it. Some of these have probably 30 scriptures that would refute that one teaching from Mormonism. Yeah. And sometimes that's really um, eye-opening for them. Okay. First of all, that there are that many things in the Bible that would be opposite a teaching <laughs> like the great apostasy. And second right. of all, that Jesus himself would have said things opposite than what yeah. the Mormon prophets are teaching them. And like I said, I watched one of your presentations you made at a Calvary Chapel you had made mention of. And it's something that I'm going to put in my toolkit whenever they knock on my door is with their view of the great apostasy after death of the last apostle up until Joseph Smith's restoration is the fact of, Jesus himself said that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, and uh, uh, until you said that, I never correlated the two. And so, yeah, that's definitely another one that just kindly, passively bring that up. You know, if Jesus mentioned the gates of hell wouldn't prevail, you know, could you explain to me how the apostasy occurred? Exactly. Or, so did Jesus not know his church was going to fail? Yeah. Or is that mistranslated? Or did his church really not fail? I mean, what are your options here? Or is this not really what Jesus said? Would they would they believe that Jesus was not omniscient at that point in time? Um well, I'm just curious. I think Matthew twenty four he was. Yeah, right. No, they would have believed he wasn't. Some Mormons will say he wasn't a god yet. Okay, until so he that, went that's to the cross, I, he may not have earned his godhood. That's where I was wondering about that. So, you've answered pretty much all the main questions 
Uh, I do have some others if you'd like to continue. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Whatever's how I, I want this to be helpful for Christians so that they feel comfortable yeah. engaging Mormons. Certainly you can always engage through questions. Yes. And, and that's huge because uh, as we've learned the other day, using the Columbo tactic from Stand to Reason Ministry, as far as what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? You know, uh, definitely being able to employ those using the questions you're bringing up as well. Uh, so have you have you read my chapter in the book, I think, Sharing the Good News with Mormons? I only recently found out about your writings. Like I said, I... Well, that's exactly what I recommend is the Columbo okay, so Tactic with Mormons. What, so if you're a Christian book? apologist, look up the Columbo Technique. It yep. is effective with Mormons. Yes. What was that book name you said? I'm going to put a link in there. Uh, sharing the Good News with Mormons. Okay. So one of the questions is, how familiar are you with Joseph Jr.'s parents? Well, I know that they were into the some occult methods, like his father was a diviner, and he was also a diviner. Also, uh, he used peep stones. Mm-hmm. Um, here's an interesting thing. For years, the Mormon Church always said that the Book of Mormon was translated um by the urim and thummim but but in recent years they um admitted that joseph smith used a peep stone Mm -hmm. to translate the book of mormon so he put a his peep stone in a hat Mm -hmm. put his head there made sure there was no light in the hat and then he said words like a text message would appear on the stone he'd speak them out and then Oliver Cowdery or whoever was scribing for him at the time would write them down, read them back to him so it was right and then the next. But the church actually maybe four years ago did a a whole PR thing where they showed the exact peep stone that Joseph Smith used. Using a peep stone is an occult method. So yes, his parents were into that and so was Joseph. And uh I thought I read something about, because I think it was Lucy, it was his mother, I think it was, Uh Lucy Smith, and and she was heavily into abracadabra stuff and very much uh, incantations, if you will, and having dreams. Yeah, Sandra Tanner, utlm.org, has some good information on that, but also there's a a ministry called His Men out of Salt Lake. Um, Dennis Higley is a little bit of an expert on Mormonism and the occult. Okay. Our ministry focuses on the Bible and the Word and trying to bring uh, Mormons who are already questioning their faith helping them to accept the biblical option and Mm -hmm. to know how much bigger this God is and how he's real and how the Bible has consistency and how different it is from Mormonism, that kind of stuff. That's part of our niche. And that's a big thing, like you said, because I didn't really put that two together until today's interview is the fact of, I understand the complete difference between their Jesus and the biblical Jesus, their view of Jehovah and the biblical view of Jehovah and everything. But when you had made mention that, the Mormon God is still progressing, if you will. And and, uh, if he has to continually progress, to me, that's not God. There's someone greater than that being, if you will. And so there's a lot of wonderful questions. I did have this one question uh, because... He's also married. 
Uh, right. Heavenly fathers married and have spirit and children. Too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's, uh, this is one that's always stumped me from the LDS view. So I think it was a Lamanites maybe, but during the Babylonian, the what? Lamanites. Lamanites. Uh -huh. During the Babylonian captivity, which uh, mm -hmm. was prophesied that it was judgment upon Israel that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. But right. in the Book of Mormon, it, it talks about how God had told this group to leave and come to the Americas. Mm -hmm. how, again, maybe it's because they don't take the book, the Bible, you know, as a word of God. But to me, that's a huge contradiction. Does that ever produce any thoughts or any fruit in a Mormon's life to point that out? You're not going to have Mormons uh, reading the Bible a lot. And even when they, so they rotate through four years of scripture study. One would be church history, doctrine and covenants, Pearl of Great Christ. Uh, one's Book of Mormon. And then they do do Old Testament and New Testament, but they use very scripted um, manuals. Oh, okay. That cherry pick things out of those scriptures. So I used to teach Mormon seminary and I taught high schoolers who are getting ready for their Mormon missions, right? Oh. And I'm teaching them the Bible. But I was challenged by my Mormon leaders. I was threatened that I could not leave the manual. Each kid had to have a manual. We had to go buy the manual. And literally they cherry picked scriptures out of the Bible oh, into right. the manual. So that you're not even opening Ezekiel 37 and reading about those two sticks right. and reading two, two verses downward actually tells you that, that those two sticks are not the book of Mormon. Right. Yeah. Those two sticks are Israel and Judah, right? Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense, but, and it's such a shame. I only have really two more questions. Uh, first one, you talked a little bit about outer darkness. Uh, is it possible for a Mormon to lose their eternal life or lose their exaltation? If they're working and working, if they stumble, can they lose their progress? Can they lose eternal life, period? Well, you never have eternal life in this life. In Mormonism. Oh. You're never saved, so you don't know. But Mormon church leaders can take your baptism away. So you huh. cannot begin the road to salvation unless you're water baptized into the Mormon church. Uh -huh. You receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands through Mormon priesthood only. But if you sin... If I say I've been adulterous and I go to my bishop and I confess, which you have to do, kind of like in Catholicism with the okay. confession, right? You have to go to church leaders and you confess. They literally can make a decision about what your punishment is mm -hmm. and they can take your water baptism away which is horrific right and then you're allowed to go to mormon church but you can't take the sacrament everybody can see you're not taking the sacrament every you're not allowed to pray in public um there like i said it's a lot like leah remini's scientology yeah. only probably not to the same degree right wow okay uh why are there there are no maps in the book of mormon 
<laughs> well, <laughs> because they have no idea where the cities of the Book of Mormon happened. Okay. That's why there's no geographical evidence. And thank you for bringing that up, because that was the one I forgot to mention a little while yeah. ago. Um, with the tens of thousands of archaeological digs we have for the Bible, we pretty much know where the cities are. I right. mean, even AI, now they think they found, or Sodom and Gomorrah, they think they might have found, you know, mm -hmm. even the things that have been left up there hanging. Every year, Christianity Today does like the top 10 archaeological finds of Christianity right. every year. They just come pouring in. Yeah. There aren't any for the Book of Mormon. They used to say that the last great battle where 230,000 um, people died from the Book of Mormon was in New York. Well, then they did all these archaeology and they couldn't find any spears or any dead people right, right. so well it wasn't new york it must have been central america well they then they'll they'll look at those pyramids for the from the incas and the um and say that that's mormon well it's wrong time period from the book of mormon so yeah. they have no idea so there are no maps because there's no geology no archaeology so Doing a lot of studying over here, you, one could look at all the false prophecies and the doctrines and covenants, and one that I'm big on is the whole more of a prediction rather than a prophecy of the Civil War and how there's even information wrong about that. A temple not being reared up in Joseph Smith's generation in the area that he said he was going to be. Uh, he said set, Jesus would return in the early 1890s, yeah. All these things, you know, and is there any benefit of bringing this up nicely to a missionary? You, you could if you're trying to tear down their faith in Mormonism, but, but this is my personal opinion. Please. Church, learning things about Joseph Smith and history can tear down your faith in Mormonism, but it does not bring you to know the true Christ. Many, many people are leaving Mormonism probably at least half of them giving up a Jesus altogether because oh. they've been taught that they have the same Jesus and God as yours. When they learn Mormonism, they decide it's silly or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then, then they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And, and here's the problem because Christians never make it clear to them. First of all, that the Bible can be trusted and second of all, how big their God is. So because Mormons love experiential things, right? why not as a Christian, when's the last time you told the testimony of what Jesus did in your life and it made you weep? When's the last time you had an answer to prayer where you could tell that story for 15 minutes and it yeah. would make someone else weep? I think sometimes we as Christians assume other people know about this God, but because they have an impotent and false God, they haven't had any real spirit experiences. I, that's what I decided in Mormonism. There might have been a few times in my life when God actually showed up, but mostly it was the Mormon God, and mostly I was having false experiences. When the real God entered my life, 
everything changed. My thinking changed. Who I was changed. I was prideful and um, self-righteous. And hopefully those things have been driven out of me now. So the power of a changed life is one of the greatest testimonies of who Jesus is and what he can do. And yet I don't think Christians are very good at articulating that. And because Mormons love the experiential, that might be a tactic you would want to take as well as the, um, the logical evidential way. Right. Okay. I think that pretty much covers it. There's only, I got a video out there, talks about the five fault lines of Mormonism, and in it, we look at the very original 1830 translation of the Book of Mormon that you can find on the Internet Archives and everything, and and it's fascinating because you can look at a Book of Mormon today, or even some of the revisions later, that they changed it just a couple years after this 1830 translation, because in it, it reads as though they have a Trinitarian view of God. Yes. Yeah, it, Joseph it, Smith did. Even in the Book of Mormon, it's somewhat Trinitarian, a little bit modalistic. But then, yeah. Then yeah. the other thing is in the three witnesses and the eight witnesses, if you will, mm-hmm. I found this interesting that what with Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, John Whitmer, Hiram Page, who was married to Catherine Whitmer, Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, Samuel Smith, it's two families. It's two families given a witness and a testimony to Joseph Smith Jr.'s writings. And uh, it, it just brings makes it suspect. And as far as I'm tracking, Oliver Cowdery was a cousin as well, in that most of these have even left the LDS Church, the religion, later on, too. Is, there, yeah. is, is that accurate? Do you know? Yes, some of them came back toward the end, but yeah, oh, yeah, many of them left. I think a, a lot of church leaders had a problem with Joseph's polygamy, for one thing, and then mm-hmm. Brigham Young was had 54 wives, so he was even more polygamous. Yeah. So, and I wasn't going to bring up the whole Mar- Helen Mark Kimball or anything like that in, in the ages and how many wives. But you did bring up an interesting question that I've had, that I've asked a Mormon before this. So with the fundamental ODS and with the Kingston clan, you got Warren Jeffs. Mm-hmm. And then you have your mainstream, if you will, LDS view. Yeah, well, Barons in Mexico. Yeah. And Romney. You know, there's a Romney that was a polygamy colony in Mexico. He always said really? his grandfather was born in Mexico and whatever. He was born in that Romney polygamy colony. They huh. say they're not polygamists anymore. I don't know. Right. How, how do they reconcile where a I would say a, a normal or a mainstream Mormon doesn't hold to polygamy because their apostles, what I'm tracking, said it was no longer. But yet your fundamentals and your Warren Jeffs and Kingston's and all these others, they hold to it. Does, well, okay, you've hit on one of the, the main problems in Mormonism. The fact that polygamy is an eternal principle, they call it the new and everlasting covenant or the principle, it's in Doctrine and Covenants 132. That is a piece of scripture that Mormons accept as scripture today. 
Their website says their scriptures is, are pure truth and utterly reliable. So if they teach that polygamy is an eternal principle and the prophet said we're not living it on earth now, they right. do believe they'll be living it in the next life. They have that same issue with racism. It says 26 or 27 times dark skin is a curse throughout their scriptures. They say we're not racist and they do everything. And I don't know any Mormons that seem to be racist, but it's right. in their scriptures. Joseph Smith put it there. Joseph Smith put the polygamy there. Um, he put the Godhood stuff there. He put the fact that God was once a man. All of that's in their scriptures. So if you start picking and choosing what to take out, then the foundation of Joseph Smith falls and the entire Mormon church falls. Maybe yeah. they'll do that someday. I don't yeah. know <laughs> because everything hinges on Joseph Smith, right? And, and that's the thing right there. I mean, from what I understand, all the Mormons I talk to, they say they follow, they worship Jesus, but it, it really doesn't look like it. It looks like they're following the, the teachings and the writings of Joseph Smith Jr. It is clearly what it boils down to, especially if they don't take the Bible for the word of the Bible. So, yeah, let me see if I can find this quote that will rock your world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Joseph Smith actually said he did. Here it is. I have more to boast of than any man had. Yep. I am the only man who has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. Yep. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I, Joseph Smith. Yep. And that's found yep. written in, cause I have that quote. That was, where was, you remember where that was coming from? Oh, I think this came from the journal of discourses, which Matt, one of his secretaries wrote down what he preached, you know? Yeah. Um, yep, that's and in and it's in my book. So this is the book I wrote, Unveiling Grace, the story yep. of how we found our way out of the Mormon church. Um, about the time people started streaming out of the Mormon church, mm -hmm. this was on Amazon. Okay. Had no idea so many people were questioning their faith. It came out in 2013. Amazon sold out of this in two days. They were, they were shocked, right? Yeah. Because Mormons are questioning their faith right and left. So right. this is a time for Christians to step up and try to understand their brains and step into conversations with them. Yeah. I don't even think you have to know Mormonism a lot. You just have to know how to present your Jesus and your faith in a way that people want to hear, right? Mm -hmm. And I think evidence is for the Bible. I think it's really helpful to okay. know. We've run into so many Christians who don't even know there are archaeological dates, right? They don't, oh. they don't even know there's yep. stuff where you can defend the Bible. Yep. But who is this God? He blows his nostrils and his enemies are dead. He speaks and things that never were come to be. You know, in Mormonism, there, there is no ex nihilo creation. They don't believe that God's able to create something from nothing. He takes matter that's already existed and he changes it into something else. To me, that's a smaller God, yep. God of the Bible, 
is able to do so much more. And so being articulate about who he is, how personal he is, some of the things he's done in our lives. Wow. I mean, the amazing things he did to bring me out of the church personally to get me out of BYU, right? Yeah. He literally got me another professor's job I never even applied for. That doesn't happen in higher ed that somebody calls you up and offers you a job. But God, and I Mm -hmm. fell to my knees weeping, going, this God can even get you a job you never applied for. Like, I like this God I'm sticking here. (laughs) <laughs> you hit on the ontological argument, a maximally great being, you know, which the Mormon church does not teach and they do not have. Well, that's wonderful because takeaways for, for the interview is using our testimony, knowing how to show our experience, our, if you will, burning in the bosom of uh, how the true God has really reached us to at, use the Columbo tactics and to ask them questions and allow them to, like I've realized is, it's a lot easier for someone to change their view if they convict themselves rather than us. You know, if they, you know, it's like, oh, that does make, doesn't make sense. And uh, so definitely use that The fact, point out the fact that God doesn't change. And that if a God that changes, we can't trust his word 10 years ago because he might change it tomorrow type deal. And then another thing is since they don't really hold to the Bible per se, uh, really bring out the words of Christ because they'll more or less agree with that. Now, this will be the last time I promise, last time I say this, okay? Then I'll let you go. So I've asked this question to Mormons as well, and uh, maybe based upon the Mormons that I've talked to is just where they were at and asked if we're supposed to worship Jesus, you know, because I always bring up the fact that Thomas, after the resurrection, Worship Jesus and said, my Lord, my God. Now, uh, how effective of pointing that out would that be to a Mormon? Well, in their brain, they're probably thinking, well, uh, that's after the resurrection. So he's already earned his godhood at the cross, right? Oh, okay. So that's why they'll be like, They do believe he's God now. Mm-hmm. but that just like heavenly father he was once a man and that he earned his godhood After they don't that. know how it happened or when it happened but i think a lot of mormons well, i've even had mormons tell me that they believe he was god before he came to earth so you know mm-hmm. there because mormon theology is all over the place they don't yeah. really care about little nitpicky stuff right and we yeah. didn't even talk about the plan of redemption that satan offered to jehovah either you know because that's another thing with the pre-existence and the plan of redemption between satan and jesus and and uh, both them offering a solution and then the book of mormon or maybe it's a pearl of great price that talks about a temper tantrum that satan throws which really leads to law leads to his fall if you will but uh maybe we'll try to get you back on because there's a <laughs> other you know topics and everything but i know i, I gotta let you go so before I do let you go, are there any final words, closing comments you'd like to make? Just the Mormons really are leaving the church in droves at the moment. Um, they're a little desperate to keep people. Sometimes when uh, Mormons questioning their faith come to me, the Mormon church will send missionaries to their door. I've had them offer people jobs, 
you know, offer them nice callings in the church, whatever, mm -hmm. to keep them Mormon. So mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for Christians to yeah. step into that conversation. I would start by asking God to break the spirit of blindness over them because they don't trust you pretty much what you say goes in one ear and out the other right and so I think it's helpful to ask God <laughs> so that when you say something that it might stick right that God would break that spirit of blindness over them that's scripture that he would unstop their ears that he would open their eyes that he would remove that veil and I believe it happened for me when I read the Bible I came to Christ because my missionary son who had gotten saved, my Mormon missionary son had gotten saved, born again on his Mormon mission, challenged his parents to just pick up the Bible and read it. And we began to do so. And God just opened our eyes to, wow, this is not Mormonism, right? Um, and then I was forced to make a decision at some point. Um, so getting Mormons into the Bible, because they believe now they're Christians too, they'll sometimes come to your neighborhood Bible studies. That would be so good. If you're running a neighborhood Bible study or you know one, you can say to a Mormon, you, you told me you're a Christian, you believe the Bible too, right? That's what we have in common. Let's study it, right? And, and again, you don't have to hit people with negative stuff because then they won't listen to you. You just have to feed them scripture, feed them scripture, feed them scripture. The Bible says 3,800 times it's the word of God. It doesn't return void. God sends it out. It does what he... Literally, I think my heart was changed just by reading the word and being renewed day by day. That's how that, that born again experience happens. So it is about getting Mormons into the Bible and letting the Holy Spirit do his work, but it's little by little, it's gonna yeah. be, it's gonna take a while. Well, I appreciate the time and all the wisdom and insight you've provided. And like you said, one of the biggest things I've taken away is questions. Uh, show them love and, and uh, just be friendly with them because they're already taught or trained or told that mm -hmm. Christians are lower. We have less of a revelation and that uh, we don't have the truth. And so they're already coming somewhat hard, uh, hardened. And so just being able to just befriend them, the whole friendship evangelism aspect, and then uh, just talk about Jesus. So uh, Lynn, I just thank you for sharing your time with us today. Best wishes, uh, wish you the best and everything as far as your endeavors, your job and, and whatnot, the family, the ministry. We're going to get all these links on the description of the YouTube and the podcast that goes out. And so for anybody still watching, just thank you for tuning this in and uh, God bless.